Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording... Ray Smith! You know, she was an immigrant from Trinidad. Their mother was an immigrant from Trinidad, and she stood, I'm guessing, about five feet tall... She was thin. She was, of course, dark-skinned. Um, she was maybe almost wiry. Uh, but more than that, uh, notes on the hospital chart about her interaction with the nurses led me to see a side of her that was strong-willed. And with really very few health problems at all, she had uh, no diabetes or high blood pressure. She had um, some history of back pain, that hadn't really amounted to very much. Uh, she'd had some thyroid disease that had been treated. But the real deal was that lately her left knee had been bothering her, and she decided it was time for a total knee replacement. Well, actually, a partial knee replacement in her case, but to get that knee taken care of. Well, she came into the hospital for that surgery, and by all accounts, it went very well. Uh, except that um, the next day, she was a bit slow to wake up, just kind of groggy like. Uh, yeah, the, our, our word for that is she was somnolent but it just means she was sleepy um, and uh, when she did wake up uh, she complained of belly pain so they checked her out on that there were no sounds uh, so she had what we call paralytic ileus fancy term that means basically um, just like she was slow to wake up from the anesthesia, so was her intestinal tract. Uh, and they knew that once they got her up and walking around that that was all going to sort itself out. It's always a good feeling when you've got your patient figured out, you know? <laughs> well, morning became evening. And around midnight, cue the music, uh, the nurse came in to do vital signs and uh, noticed that there was a little bit of uh, leaking around, not, uh, around her, the hub of her IV. So as she was fiddling around trying to get that sealed better, uh, the mom, and because she was an island girl, let's just call her Mia, um, Mia stopped breathing like that, just stopped breathing. So they, oh my gosh, you know, they called the code, the team came in, they worked on her, they got her breathing again, and they do what they always do, you know, they drew blood, right, blood work. Bloodwork came back and showed that her hemoglobin was half of what it had been that morning. So that means that she had bled out somewhere about half of her blood volume. Um, they were way behind the eight ball. So they checked to see if it was intestinal because that's a common place. No. So they moved it down to CT and uh, got her scanned. Meanwhile, of course, they're running blood in uh, just as fast as they possibly can. Um, so they got her down there, and what they discovered by, with the scan was that she had a huge mass, uh, kind of what we call the retroperitoneum. It's behind the liver, kind of against your back on the inside, back kind of above your kidneys. Large volume of clotted blood there. Uh, so now the question was, well, what's going on to cause that? They did an angiogram and discovered that she had not one but three small aneurysms. That's a blood vessel that's going to blow. One of them actually had blown, and that was the cause for the bleeding. But there were two others that were kind of out, hadn't blown yet. 
So the radiologist uh, was an interventional guy, uh, so he was able to get his little instrument out by those aneurysms and block those off so that they wouldn't bleed. But the one that had blown, he kept trying to send stuff out, little coils uh, out to stop that thing, and he couldn't get it to stop. But she was relatively stable. She was just in coma. You know, uh, they moved her back to her room. By this time, it was the following morning. They notified the family. Uh, later that morning, uh, they, um, they did an ultrasound of her brain looking for blood flow. And they found no blood flow through her brain. That is to say, through the cortex. The following day, they repeated that study, and they found the same thing. So Mia was brain dead. Now, how does a family wrap their mind around that? Here's a woman just, just this side of 50 who just days earlier was alive and vibrant, and now she's brain dead. Well, they prayed and they hoped against hope that the doctors were wrong. And they waited two days for something good to happen, but nothing happened. And uh, so after that time, um, they did what you do. They withdrew the ventilator support. Uh, She was not able to breathe on her own, and they pronounced her dead. I got the autopsy. And I was not thrilled um, because I knew that there was no unanswered question in this case, and I was going to be wasting hours of my time documenting things that everybody already knew. They knew about the aneurysms. They knew about the blood clot. They knew about the brain death. They knew all that stuff. And there was the, the knee at this point was pretty much irrelevant. Um, and uh, there was nothing to be gained. Now, see... When I was a resident, um, my chief used to tell us, you know, you be sure when you're doing that autopsy that you learn something. (laughs) What was I supposed to learn from this thing? I've done over a thousand autopsies. I knew what I was going to find. I even could guess what was going to be abnormal about those blood vessels when I went in and looked at the vessels around those aneurysms. But you know what? The family needed closure. So um, even though this whole thing seemed to me futile, even though there seemed to be no point really beyond that in doing the autopsy, uh, I decided, you know, what was I going to do? I couldn't dump it to anybody else. So I did the case, and I found all the things that I was supposed to find. Um, I even got that clot and searched with great diligence looking, (laughs) looking for that blown aneurysm. Let me just say, looking for a blown aneurysm in a mass of blood like that that's clotted up, that's kind of like, that's kind of like being in a dark closet with a, with a balloon, and the balloon pops, and while the lights are out, you're trying to find the fragments. But I found that aneurysm. It took me three days of dissecting and sampling and looking under the microscope. I finally did find it, so I documented everything. Got my report together. Sent it out. Family got it. Everything was fine. And about a week later, I got a call from the son. And we chatted briefly on the phone, just, uh, you know, casual, okay, how are you doing? I'm so sorry about your mom. Um, And then he said, 
You know, my sister has a question. Would you be willing to talk to her? Sure. Put her on. And in my mind, I'm thinking, there are no questions. So this um, female voice on the other end of the phone, gentle, plaintive, and she says, Sir, can you tell me when my mother died? Can I tell you when your mother died? I was stunned. I was trying to process that question. I remember reading an author, Watchman Nee, if you know that guy, uh, and he had made the comment that you should always listen for the question that isn't asked. Now, he's not talking about a wife gaming her husband. <laughs> okay. He's talking about someone trying to think of a question that is too painful to ask. What she was asking me was, when did my mother die? Was it before we turned off the ventilator or after? So I uh, sat back in that chair and I said to her, here's how it works. When someone dies, the tissues in their body begin to change. But it takes time for those changes to develop to a point that we can see them under the microscope. And the longer there's a delay, the more changes occur. In your mother's case, uh, the changes that I saw in her brain under the microscope take several days to develop. So I can tell you that her death occurred sometime between the first and second ultrasounds, probably around the time of that second ultrasound. You see, the ventilator makes her look like she's alive, but she was already gone. I'm so sorry. Well, she thanked me, and as I hung the phone up, I sort of dropped my head and, and prayed that uh, she'd take to heart what I told her. And as I sat there, then it occurred to me why I had been tasked with that autopsy. Thank you. If you'd like to tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, plenty of ways to pitch your story, and our podcast featuring storytellers from previous shows. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.